Welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, I'm joined by Lucas Saruba, Mohamed Bakri, Mergen Rama, and Prabhu Dwaraj to discuss tech and mental health. But before we get into the topic in a bit more detail, we'll start with some introductions to you all. So, Lucas, would you like to kick us off? Sure thing. Uh, so as you mentioned, I'm Lucas. Uh, I currently work as a group competence lead in uh, Klarna Bank. Uh, and what it means is a fancy name for a uh, group engineering manager, basically. Uh, my background is uh, mostly in tech. I studied software engineering. I had uh, some backend positions like a developer, really enjoyed that part of my life and switched into some CTO position and uh, led people and worked with uh, business, but kind of navigating a thin boundary between people, tech, and uh, architecture and whatnot all my work career, which I really enjoy connecting those worlds together. Uh, on the personal side, I, I, I really enjoy tech uh, as well, uh, which makes it a little bit like flat uh, in, in some sense, uh, but I try to balance it with a bunch of bunch of other stuff in, in like uh, sports and, and, and stuff like that uh, to, to balance my screen time at least a bit when talking about mental health I think it, that's an important part to mention uh, I will leave it at this point and hand over to somebody else lovely thank you um, well Mohammed, would you like to introduce yourself next yes of course uh, my name is Mohammed Bekri uh, I'm originally from Egypt I have a long uh, journey with uh, software development and uh, everything related to tech, the engineering side, for uh, more than about 18 years. I'm working as um, a senior engineering manager in Warner Bros. Discovery right now for about three years. Uh, yeah, also a long uh, journey, as you mentioned, in, uh, in the tech industry at all and different domains, different countries, starting from... Uh, some countries in Middle East and uh, yeah, here in Jordan, Sweden. On the personal level, I am uh, really passionate about the travel. Uh, if I have uh, a huge amount of money, I will just spend it for traveling, <laughs> nothing else. On my spare time also, it's uh, more about uh, watching documentaries and uh, football games, uh, the sports. That's me. Lovely. And Amergen, would you like to go next? Sure, sure. Uh, hey, guys. Um, so, engineering manager at IKEA. Been here for the last three and a half years. Been working primarily in the financial industry of IKEA. Started in financial services. And now I work with the prepaid payments uh, domain, basically, where we cater for all the prepaid capabilities. Uh, going backwards, always working in tech, um, but majority of the Swedish companies basically started my my career in Gothenburg for Volvo cars, working as a backend engineer uh, and test automation engineer, which landed me to uh, the old Sony Mobile or Sony Ericsson, if some of you remember the same facility. Uh, worked there for a few years as a software engineer, uh, team lead. Uh, and project manager, which then landed me this perfect opportunity at IKEA, both combining, just like Luca said, architecture, technology, and people management in a in a good hybrid. Uh, love what I do. 
uh, on the spare time outside of work. Uh, exercise is a big part of my uh, my upbringing. So football, uh, some some running when I can, and of course hitting the gym as much as possible to get get that mental health well being approach that we all are going to talk about later today. Thank you. Amazing, thank you. And last but not least, Prabhu. Thank you. Nice to know more about you guys. Um, yeah, as I said, like my name is Prabhu. I've been currently working as an engineering manager uh, with Flight Terra 24. It's an aviation flight tracking service company. Uh, I work with a couple of uh, different domains in my career, telecom, e-commerce, and uh, banking as well. And um, aviation is my first time actually I'm working with Flight Terra here. Uh, I started as an Android developer way back sometime in 2007 when the Android just introduced and I was, I think, one of the few person who started as a developer there at the time. Uh, but then later on, my my I came to know that I'm very good at testing. Then I shifted my focus to more towards quality. And I was becoming a QA lead, QA manager, work as a different company's test manager, working as a QA manager in different companies. But currently, I'm working as an engineer manager for a few teams in my current company, uh, which also includes a QA team as well. So uh, yeah, handling people, of course, is part of my job. But I love tech, and I love to code a lot. So um, that's where the importance of balancing between how much you can code and how much you can manage people comes in. And that gives me an advantage of for me to understand how the developer works, you know, how we can improve the lives and how we can improve the, uh, the working condition, everything. Apart from tech side, um, I've always been a tech guy, but uh, I love to play table tennis. So as I said, like I've been currently playing national level table tennis here in Sweden that I most of the time that's my hobby and that's my uh, main hobby as well. Uh, but currently my major hobby is taking care of my kids. So uh, yeah. That's how it goes right now. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, a Knowledge Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading-edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data, product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Amazing, lovely. Well, now that we know you all a bit better, we'll get stuck into the questions. So as usual, we'll make our way around the group where you've all prepared a question to do with our topic theme of tech and mental health. So probably your question is first and you ask, how do you think the constant evolution of technology impacts our overall well-being, both positively and negatively? So tell us a bit more about your question. Yeah, I think it's it's very important because I'm thinking in all perspective as a parent, as a manager, as a developer, you know, uh, it's very important because things are keep on changing in this tech world. And recent advancement is the AI coming in, you know, people started to ask me like, oh, will I have this job? Will I have, I mean, that's a quite a lot of uh, impact that's come, impacting the individual person as well. When it comes to the roles of responsibility and also like, 
when you're working with tech industry and you are responsible for delivering the, those technologies as well, right? And it's also on us how we could, in, for example, in the gaming industry, there's a concept called responsible gaming. So they they are trying to do some responsible gaming so that people doesn't overdo the gaming stuff. So maybe there, there should be also something like uh, impact to be done uh, so that we could develop a technology that doesn't impact the users, right? Um, Snapchat coming in, different timing in, you know, there are different te technologies coming in and we need to adapt to it. And uh, sometimes it's, it's it, we think it's more positive and there are also something sometimes that is more negative as well. So that's that's my question. I want to have a discussion on this one. So how it's, it's impacting our culture in the work, you know, um, People starting like, okay, can I use this AI in my in my development environment? Um, it's taking less time, or it's taking more time. Uh, and to do that, they have to overdo the job as well, right? So to to learn the new technology and work with the new technology. So yeah, so that's my uh, motivation to ask this. Nice. Does anyone want to kick us first? Kick us off first with their thoughts. I think I can I can start off by saying one comment, and it's actually very aligned with what you said, probably about um, the gaming industry specifically, because and the, the pace of the technology of specifically AI in this case. I don't know if you have seen it, but there was a develop, game developer studio in Gothenburg who laid off fifty percent of their headcounts due to the fact of introduction to AI. Um, that itself causes, of course, a lot of stress and uncertainty to the future engineers, uh, let alone the companies and their strategies of how to actually implement these, these tools for, for having a healthy environment and to not cause unnecessary stress on uh, individuals. Yeah, for, for sure. Uh, I would like to jump in with one thing when, when I prepared for your question, I read it. I, I kind of, the first thing that came to my mind was productivity, right? Like with the new tech, there, there often comes productivity. And when I thought about it, I was like thinking about the times before Spring Boot. I, I don't know if you're Java people, but like uh, you remember those days, it was ugly. You like implemented stuff with the web servers. You you kind of did all these things. Node.js came in 2009. Jenkins in 2011, before that we did like bash scripts to build stuff, right? Or like make files and so forth. Um, so I think that like new tech and the evolution can bring a lot of productivity if chosen carefully and it's like not trying to overdo it. And there's always a balance to anything you, you do in life. And like the other comment that like so something that I'm really starting to feel myself is the pressure from the new kids. Like, I don't, I don't know if you see it the same way, but like people leaving college now have uh, had started. They actually started using the new tech. They, they already know so so many stuff uh, and uh, that we just need to learn. But it doesn't really matter that much because one thing that I see with engineers is that they love to learn new stuff. They love to like fiddle with new, new tech, try out the open AI and other things. So I think there is already a balance in it, but like, if it, it approached, responsibly i would say uh, i mean uh, the main uh, sorry uh Bakri, i mean um I, I can finish um i forgot okay uh, <laughs> the thing is like um sometimes 
advancement of this technology, of course, gives us more uh, ways of addressing a solution, right? And more ways of finding a solution as well. But what I feel personally is like, then we start losing the social connectivity. Sometimes like, okay, now we have Copilot. I mean, uh, we have ChatGPT and we have some of the stuff that gives us a piece of code or gives us a different kind of solutions to us. But then we start doing this socialization already with the Facebook, right? So, uh, when, I mean, it's just quite obvious, like in Sweden, if you go to Metro or people are just looking to the, already to the phone actually, mostly to the phone. And uh, when it comes to work around, even now we are working more remotely and, you know, and having these kind of advancement in place, I, I feel like uh, we will start losing the social connectivity uh, within the team. And we feel that it will give us more productivity, but I think we will feel that it is going to become less actually, to be true. Yeah, yeah. I uh, go ahead, Marvel. Do you have? Yeah, no, no worries. I have just one, one point to add because uh, I'm totally uh, aligned with you, uh, Prabhu, because you mentioned the really good part, especially for uh, the game development. It's uh, it's one of the hardest uh, topics in uh, the programming. It's uh, something like hacking, something like, uh, of course, now the new era with AI and uh, machine learning and lots of games. Development is uh, kind of these um, complicated topics and uh, areas in development. Uh, it's really something that I cannot compare with what, what I have right now. Of course, uh, I can feel that uh, there is a lot of changes around, uh, a lot of uh, platforms you have to support, a lot of uh, updates in, uh, in, in the hardware and uh, how the things will be going. There is actually a big booming uh, approach for all devices to support specific games and all of that. This is really, really putting um, putting you in uh, in a very critical game all the time. You are playing a very difficult game by the time. So it's uh, yeah, I'm really uh, uh, <laughs> I'm really aiming to have that experience. But yeah, it's it's really hard. So uh, it's uh, it's something that uh, compared to what we have, it's nothing. <laughs> Yeah, I just I just wanted to put a, a, a last comment from my side. Uh, depending on the timing, of course, is what Luca said is about the balance. And I think the balance is key to everything we do, especially in uh, this this new new technology era that we are heading against. It's basically a revamp of when computational powers became uh, accessible to every sort every human, basically uh, with p personal computing. I think AI ha will have the same, if not a bigger, aspect to the the evolvement of personal computing. So, with with that said, <clears throat> it can be used for really great things. It all depends on what companies are building in terms of the focus on problem solving and improving the lives of of customers, uh, of the designated customers, um, and not using it for the technology's sake of itself. Because then, then we reach these areas where uncertainty becomes very high, and the stress and the the, the stress factors, the, the the suffering of depression, etc., on those individuals, uh, knowing if they have a future, building these tools it become apparent. Basically, so that's that's just something I I would like to highlight. Yeah, I mean, it's also um, 
very good that of course uh, that why I ask this question is like to to create a strategic balance approach right i mean there are a lot of things in in this market i mean i'm just not talking about the tech development side i'm also talking side of the tech using side right we are developers of tech and we are yeah. also consumers of tech some some places like yeah. so i feel like sometimes mindfulness should be practiced a lot actually and uh, and uh, of course continuous learning is important but we, we should we should not feel pressure to master everything at once so we should uh, we should allocate some time to learn the new technologies of course what the new technologies but we should not be pressured to uh, learn and ma- master and everything actually and with this continuous improvement and continuous development i think cyber security is a much more important stuff that we need to understand our our uh, personal yeah. details our personal information <clears throat> so we should practice the mindfulness how we approach a tech and how we work with the tech as well because we are developing tech and also we are consuming some more techs right so that's a give and take for us. And uh, I don't know if you have time for that, but when, you, like you all shared your experiences, I, I took a step back, basically looking at the history of it. And we keep saying that, like now with the current development in tech and open AI and whatnot, and people layoffs because of open AI. But when we take a step back in the history, there was punch cards, right? And people had jobs punching the cards and actually literally reading your programs from the paper and punching it into the cards. And there was a magnetic tape, great invention, and those people were let go. And basically, they needed to specialize in something else. And when you look at it, this keeps coming. And then there was an evolution of remote work, like maybe 15 years ago. Could you imagine having a remote work setup? Probably not, uh, unless a very specific case. Nowadays, it's like a new normal, right? So we keep adapting to that, but I believe people in any era say that that era is very specific with the current development of stuff. But when we look at that in the big picture, like it was there, there was like steam, right? First car, like agricultural machines, like it, it yeah, just keeps yeah. coming. And, and we, as, yeah. as people using the tech and developing the tech, need to keep evolving and with balance that that's like the important part. Yeah. Perfect. I mean, that's a good example. I mean, uh, do you have time to talk about this topic, Abby, or? Of course we do. Go for it. Okay. Uh, I mean, the good example was given by Lucas, but also like um, I, I uh, one example is like uh, working with cartoons and um, there was cartoons and there was uh, movies came in and then there was uh, theaters coming and then CD came in. And then of course, uh, this uh, digital Blu-ray came in and now that is a streaming platform, but still there is uh, people going to theaters, right, to enjoy. So I think um, the, the technology changes, of course, the people will change, but I think the people will be still using uh, something that really matters to them, um, which gives uh, them, you know, uh, the way of how they want to do it, actually, uh, exactly like the te- that's how the technology evolved. And of course, sometimes the technology brings us good, sometimes it brings us something different. Nice. Perfect. Well, I think that's a nice little wrap up to the end of that question. Um, And Lucas, we'll move on to your question next, which is how can we support our engineers suffering from depression, burnout or similar? Of what impact do you see from working remotely with the report? So tell us a bit more about your question. Thank you. Yeah, my my question is uh, about the tech and mental health in like a very engineering one on one, like working with people aspect. Uh, where it's not easy to be depressed as an employee, right? 
in general. And when we mentioned the pressure from evolving tech and whatnot and from remote work as well, um, it's even more uh, urgent and pressing topic. Uh, so, so my question, and I don't have many answers to this one, unfortunately. So it's literally more a question or a topic, it can be called. Uh, how can we actually, we as engineering managers who are the like front lines of working with people, how can we approach it to give the support those people need? And I, I drafted a couple of things, uh, and I will briefly mention them so you can dismiss them and build on top of them. Uh, one is like setting uh, realistic expectations. Uh, we, we approached it in the last question. Like we cannot learn everything at once. We cannot deliver everything at once, etc. One would be an impact of culture in the sense of like company culture and, and general culture. Like we work in multicultural companies, right? So we have a lot of different uh, mindsets coming in. So fostering that culture of uh, you don't need to be a, a superstar every day at your work might be important. And there is the stigma to actually anything uh, regarding health, mental health issues. Uh, I mean, I see your hand. Uh, let me just finish the list if you're okay with that. Uh, because at least where I come from, uh, Central Europe, uh, you don't talk about mental health issues. Uh, you use nowadays, it's fancy, but like maybe five years ago, you just didn't talk about it. It was like a closet thing. You never mention it. Let alone at work. It was like, uh, no, I'm, I'm fine. I, I'm, I'm going to be okay. Uh, so I don't think that's a very healthy approach. Work-life balance, of, of course, like that, that's a big topic in that. And uh, like there are tools like uh, meditation apps and sports apps and whatnot. But I think that's like a that's like a support group. It's not really the the heavy lifting. So uh, what are your thoughts on that? As what we as engineering managers play as a role in those cases? Uh, I can start if you want. Uh, I have been in this situation quite a few times, actually, currently as well. Um, uh, there was a burnout, and of course, uh, I was able to recognize that burnout actually, and in different ways. And of course, I took different different measures to make sure that the person uh, doesn't um, be affected due to the burnout, actually. So like uh, I was able to give like flexible work timing and we are working in different country times, country zones actually. So we made our agreement like, okay, you could take some flexible work arrangements and uh, try to take some day off as well, you know, uh, to come back strong, maybe vacation, uh, something like that. And I was like, uh, strictly respect the boundaries. I mean, never overwork because it's quite easy in an environment where you're working with different time zones, it's quite easy to work in different time zones and you sometimes you overwork yourself actually. So that might be a cause of the burn, burn on as well. I mean, the first thing is was like, uh, I was very, uh, at a very regular checking and trying to make sure that he's getting comfortable, the person is getting comfortable and, and uh, yeah, uh, and I was able to promote a positive work environment, uh, even though, our, our most of our workforce is 85% is remote, um, but it, we really wanted to have this positive work environment, culture, digital culture, where we could speak to each other and uh, we could uh, hang out each other together. We had like a different kinds of uh, coffee online, digital coffee online, you know, a digital games online every Friday. So these things, just not making sure that the personal, get, the person, individual person gets, uh, um, but it's also the team because sometimes 
individual person contributes to the team more as well. So because uh, the contribution is, is is coming from the individual person, right? So I want the team to develop as well, and also that the person should feel happy about uh, himself coming back from this burnout. Yeah, you can. Uh, I have two comments. Uh, maybe, uh, of course, uh, completing or having every time working from home is not that good thing. But we have a chance to be working hybrid. So two, three days from office, and we decide which these days we will have uh, to uh, together and work from office together. It's really helpful. Um, I'm feeling actually my team is not able to work again five <laughs> five working days from office. It's not uh, something ideal for now, and this is uh, maybe the good thing from having that hybrid model, because maybe you have depression by commuting time, uh, losing time in uh, in uh, less focus. To be honest, because most of the days in office, it's um, you lose focus for some time. You have uh, side chats and uh, things like that. So you feel sometimes that you lose your time without doing something um, for the work. So if we have it balanced, okay, we agree that we have two days like that. And we can have the other three days, more focus, more concentration, and things like that. This is my first comment. So I see the hybrid model is something that can fix that issue. Um, the depression or burnout uh, because of learning, uh, I feel that with my team because I had the experience of transforming two of my team members to be working as developers, uh, pure developers. So they start learning. I have also that experience with internships and something like that. Uh, the key of um, of actually in in in, in charging the spirit and the the passion of learning for everyone is to keep everything um, challenging and interesting, not just something that pressure you or something that you feel that you have a deadline, you have to learn that and produce that. So we try as much as possible to make that environment that you learn and you do a progress in the work and that learn is something that you really know that it's something that will enhance your skill set. It's something you will be able to add in your CV. So you feel that you are doing a progress in post levels, on the work level and on the personal level. That could give you some, um, some uh, how we call it, some uh, spirit, some, uh, some space that uh, you're doing something also for your uh, your personal career and this is something of course you need to do uh, assume that even if you actually have a work and you just um, end up the work by five what you will be doing in the rest of the day of course sometimes you need to be working for upgrading your skills um, study something you need to promote you need to uh, leave your current company for another one you are aiming for um, another opportunity in such a big company or something like that and for that reason, you need to learn. So in that case, let's learn through the work because we have uh, every month new um, new technologies that should be added, not invented, but of course should be added to our uh, ecosystem and should be added to um, to what we are working with. So we are continuously learning. So let's keep learning as a habit, not just um, 
a milestone or something that uh, add more pressure on you. Yeah, so um, I, I wanted to merge those two because um, what you said, Lucas, in the beginning uh, about setting the clear expectations, having the right culture uh, for allowing mental health to be a vital part of the, the team itself or the criticality of what you work with in that team is really important because you need to emphasize the seniority of the team members. You can have can have really talented engineers that can do things on a half-day basis where you have more new recruits that will take a few days. So setting the clear expectations is key to make sure that uh, it resolves in a good manner. The other thing around that that I was thinking about is about the actual burnout. Yes, the hybrid model, I've tried it myself, it does a lot, especially when you have new recruits joining the team because it solves so much in a peer conversation. You can take so many shortcuts rather than enforcing those individuals to read through uh, a bunch of Confluence pages or uh, GitHub or GitHub workflows or repositories to others. And that itself becomes a learning curve to understand the actual solution if you don't get that insight from the senior devs in the team. Um, what I see crucial here is that if a burnout has happened, I've seen it myself, is the tendency of that individual might have the same effect coming back to the same team. Because that psycholo psychological uh, feeling of associating the work and the work pressure and the, the burnout slash depression feeling with that team setup is still there. So changing environment has been a crucial thing for me to help solving this. So basically rotating individuals, allowing them to test something else in a short, in a, a pace that is not as before, for example, has been a crucial thing. And then also, Mohammed, you mentioned something really interesting is about the learning curve, always being up for learning. And learning and change goes hand in hand. And you, you probably, if you Google, you have that curve about, I know nothing, but I'm super energetic. And then suddenly I know, I know that I know nothing. And that's when the stress starts to hit you. Uh, the same goes for the change process. Now you're feeling stressed. Now you're feeling that you're close to a burnout. That can put anxiety on you without actually being there yet and uh, getting stuck in that process in a vicious loop. So it's really important to make sure that we have the, the daily chats, uh, a hybrid model that actually allows individuals to meet each other. Uh, because I do think that the 100% remote work does put some unwritten expectations because engineers tend to not work only eight hours. They will continue working late evenings or afternoons, you name it, to finalize what they committed to. So the, the expectations of commitment and also a healthy work-life balance is crucial to make that that uh, a healthy environment, basically. Thank you. Thank you very much for your inputs. Uh, I will back it up, if, if I may, with like our role as engineering managers. Uh, I try to like oversimplify it into one sentence, what we can do to actually prevent those burnouts and, and even work with burnouts. Like, A, make them shine, like make them achieve stuff, which is, uh, you talked about it. It's like sizing the tasks properly for the seniority, challenging with something new that, that can be fun to show to the team later and whatnot, then like foster passion and individual way of contributing, which 
can be, you have an idea, cool, develop it, work on it. It's your idea, own it, move it forward and do it your way. You don't need to be like uh, a copy of myself uh, to work with me. And the last thing is basically giving uh, a lot of support in many different ways. It can be one-on-ones, it can be daily check-ins, just in Slack, like, hey, how are you today? When you join the meeting early, just like have those couple of sentences in the meeting. I'm not super sure that the hybrid mode is the best thing. Uh, Honestly, when I I work mostly remotely, uh, but when I join the office, it feels like distraction mostly. I I don't get anything done in the office. Like uh, I have a lot of interaction with people, but uh, not getting things done, right? And then it leads to unhealthy work-life balance because I need to catch up with my procedures when everybody else goes home. but anyways, I think that we as uh, engineering managers really have these kind of responsibilities to people that I, I, I summed up in the oversimplified way. Uh, go ahead, question here. I, I, thank you, Lucas. I just wanted to highlight that before you leave the topic. It's very interesting the last comment you say, because isn't then the expectation wrongly put if you need to work at home after meeting your peers in the office? Because before the pandemic, everyone was in the office all the time. Good question. I don't really have an answer to that because uh, I only joined Sweden during the pandemics, uh, ah. working fully remotely. Before that, it was the different work culture where it's expected that you work evenings uh, a bit more. So uh, I can't really say. I'm really enjoying the Swedish culture of uh, accepting the work work life uh, health healthy balance. So uh, I don't know. Why? I have something to raise because. Uh... I shared that point that uh, you really get distracted in uh, the office days. But uh, to be honest, I've, this is my, my personal experience. I really feel that I can have uh, a split or cut between the work time and my personal time because once I get to home, I'm not even getting my laptop out from the bag. I'm just leaving it until the morning. So I'm trying to not do work. Uh, I have also most of my meetings in the office days because it's much better to have meetings in person. Uh, I really uh, uh, aligned with you because I have um, uh, such a long experience in Sweden, but uh, working in Sweden uh, is uh, okay because of the culture and things like that. But uh, yeah, working is a, multi- a multinational company is something else. <laughs> this is another challenge uh, because uh, as actually you mentioned before, all of you uh, working with uh, different time zones and uh, a lot of things like that. Yeah, it will lead by the end if you're working, even if you're working with an European company that just serve in several branches in, in Europe. Definitely, you will have to uh, be aligned with, with others, especially if you're in, in a managerial role. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a mix, but uh, yeah, uh, I'm really aligned with you. The culture here of work in Sweden, at least uh, it's keeping uh, the minimum work-life balance. All right. Uh, thank you for uh, thank you for sharing. Uh, and I will hand over to our next question, I think. Lovely. Lucas, you should become the host of the podcast. You did that really well. (laughs) 
Um, lovely. And um, yeah, we'll move on to Mahara's question now. And you asked, how could the rapid changes in technology and the need to keep track and continuous learning while working affect your mental health and work-life balance? So tell us a bit more. Maybe we touch in the same area because uh, it's it's all around that. So uh, I will keep it much different uh, because I will share something that I have and uh, I'm not that super clever to get rid out from that habit, but <laughs> I'm trying. Uh, I'm, I'm actually, I, I really like tech. So even in my spare time, I am actually just going for tech uh, releases, uh, see what's happening around in the technology and everything like that. So it's, it's my own passion. And uh, the thing is, um, if I need to learn something, and this is something that I'm always eager to learn new things, um, I'm feeling it's like a game. It's like a game that you spend all day night playing it, and you need to get to the last level. And this is actually the passion. But to be honest, by the time, and uh, this is not only for me, but this is for, uh, for also for the team, uh, because we need to, to learn a lot of things around. We actually work in um, a central team, in a global team. So a bunch of things, bunch of technologies that you have to deal with. And by the time you feel, and this is, I got actually from one of my friends in the team, I feel that even in the weekends, I have still a process running in the background, in a RAM. I cannot actually stop it. <laughs> and this is really something that, uh, I'm trying to get rid of it as much as I can. Um, my personal experience in that, uh, I'm trying to go out, to leave the place of the work as much as I can. I'm trying also to not use my mental or my brain a lot in that time. So going for workouts, going for uh, even walking, cycling, um, gym sometimes, but I don't think I'm like you, Mergem, because I'm not that uh, <laughs> that person that usually going for gym. But yeah, <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> to be honest. But uh, yeah, the thing is uh, also um, traveling is uh, it's one of the main things. It's not just traveling abroad, but it, it's uh, just exploring a new city, exploring a new place, things like that. Um, just try to get out from the atmosphere. Because it's really important to not end up with the burnout, the depression, even um, you need to give some rest for your brain from thinking. It's not just a continuously running process, CPU running, and now it gets overheated by the time. You need to stop it at some point just to be able to be afresh. I feel that even if I have two uh, weekend uh, days, or if I have um, uh, a break uh, watching something or playing with my kids or something like that, if I have that kind of break that I'm totally away from the work, that gave me some, uh, some space, some more energy to continue uh, working, to continue having um, new things to learn. Uh, not super clever in that. Uh, I'm trying. Sometimes it fades. Sometimes it's uh, it's success. It passes. But yeah, um, this is actually my um, my experience 
I hope if you can have uh, some uh, good tips in uh, avoiding that. <laughs> um, uh, last comment, it's, uh, it's one of my friends. Uh, he's uh, a pharmacist. So uh, I have just asked him a question. How much technologies, how much changes in, uh, in, uh, in the information and uh, how much you learn you need to do across your uh, career or something like that? It taught me something really impressive because it told me that in the last 10 years, it was maybe just one or two times change in um, the technology of, um, of um, the medication industry or something like that and these tools, these things. So I feel that in the last 10 years, I have actually changed the whole tech stack that I'm working with about four or five times. <laughs> and that's really crazy especially for that job type. I know that there is maybe some other jobs, they have the same kind of um, of uh, continuously changing and the rapid changes around uh, the, the main work that you have. But uh, for me, uh, yeah, uh, the only passion that I still actually like that job, coding, engineering, and the tech, I'm really passionate, so uh, yeah. It's an I, I um, uh, interesting topic because I because we, we can spill over on the actual discussions from uh, uh, from Lucas' question actually because it it resembles to it what I said before about a learning curve. But what I would like to to affect attack in this case for you is, uh, of course, that's a it's a company culture aspect. How much time does a company allow you for? Uh, learning things outside of your daily work and how much expectations is around new tech in that assignment because in the end you want to solve a customer problem you should probably not invest invest too much in the latest tech all the time as an r d center would have done it just to solve a problem uh, i went to a silicon valley product uh, education um, uh, driven that has been creating really great books around empowered teams and uh, products product thinking where we need to care about their users and their use cases and their needs and choose the technology that fits that purpose and crystallize it as much as possible uh, we don't need to over engineer things i know i have we have the same issue in my team and multiple teams that you try to do you think three steps ahead by overcomplicating a design of a solution or an architecture that is not necessarily needed for the time being. Basically, the MVP type of approach that uh, a lot of companies are working with in today's society. Um, that, that's where I would tackle it. And then based on that, you would then have also room to, to actually, during work time, discover new technologies. And hopefully the company will push and provide support for that to happen. Because then you can have an 80-20 uh, separation of time where you do some R&D projects, some POCs, some MVPs. Google has done it multiple times and they killed their projects equally fast as well. Uh, Gmail is the, the most spot-on example of an MVP being something utilized by everyone today, right? So it seems to work. And the bigger tech companies have proved that to actually bring working. So it's 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 about downsizing in terms of priorities and making sure that you are doing the right thing for your customers. And then 
letting your your mind focus on R&D for the time being on the other aspects. So you don't need to have that RAM burning out after working hours uh, with a constant, constant thinking of it. Uh, you said something very interesting then there about the MVPs. And I have a like completely opposite opinion on MVPs. Like I love them. I love the idea behind it and, and it works. And it, like we all know it has benefits, right? But I personally feel a lot of anxiety when business people come in and say, like, oh, just MVP that, like, don't over-engineer. And you as engineer are expected to build something then th that you put into production. And you want to, like, make sure that the architecture is solid. I'm not talking about over-engineered. I'm not talking about building for five years ahead of time. But when you know the, the use case, you know the business problem that you're solving, and you think about, okay, this is coming anyways. We don't need to deliver today but it's coming in the next iteration into weeks, three weeks or something. Yep. So I can as well prepare for that. Yep. But sometimes the culture is like super fast and like, no, you just delivered a minimal product like you, and then you put it into production and then everybody from the business is surprised that it's not performing as the very mature product you had till now, because like some people spent years developing that thingy and you just brought in the MVP and then there is a lot of anxiety in, in catching up and you're basically constantly firefighting things. And yep, then like, yep. yeah, okay, let's sit down, let's put a thought into the process and let's engineer something solid, right for the job, right tool for the job and right amount of engineering for the job. But I think that the times are now into too much of the MVP mode from my perspective. I think it, it, I think it's coming to an set. I fully agree with you because it's a misconception of what it means to deliver an MVP because you, you have stakeholders pushing all the time for the minimum effort uh but they will then not hold themselves accountable for the actual product being built against their stakeholders uh what we are doing at least on our point from our ikea global setup is that we have a business stakeholders or like senior product owners and product specialists a part of the product team development or the engineering team so we have continuous work together to be able to build the minimum necessary for the coming six months in terms of iteration processes. So I fully agree with you that, but I think it's because of the misconception of what it means and that stakeholders are using this term loosely just to make it sound like this is an easy thing to build. We don't need to care so much about it. In the end, they're not the builders, so they don't understand the complexity behind it, uh, obviously. So. Um, just wanted to shout that out because it's a really important topic that you lift, Lucas, from that other point. Thank you. Yeah, to add more to this MEP, <laughs> I have most of the time worked with MEPs, actually. <laughs> so it's, it's a quite daunting task. And it's one way or other way, we always come with a problem stakeholder saying hey, it works and it worked. But for, for me, most of the times it worked actually, luckily. Uh, because I, when I was working in the banking sector, we worked with the MEP, and now it's a, it's a high profit genera generating uh, piece of product actually. But how we approach minimal approach, maximum uh, resource, <laughs> uh, and then uh, maximize the uh, revenue. So that was my approach, and uh, it quite worked good. But in my current situation, it's totally different. We have minimum resource, but you have to put maximum effort to bring out the minimum product 
So that's quite challenging as well. And that's continuous learning because we have different technologies in place, right? We can develop one thing in different ways, but of course we have to think about the future and we also think about the tech side of maintaining it. We also think about the user side of how they are going to use it, everything. And it's a quite a imbalance between product owners and the tech side. And uh, that's uh, that's affect us actually, the team as well. And when we talk about the mental health, it will affect the mental health because we are thinking about something that we are going to deliver and then something changes and uh, we will be like, oh, this doesn't work. Of course, it will directly impact us as the developers, right? And and we, I think as engine manager, we should be responsible trying to make sure that we take those kind of things out of the team, you know? Of course, we should bring them the positive mindset of even the failure comes in. We should try to give them the more positive way of approaching the failure, lesson learned from that, how we can improve from the failures and other stuff. Uh, and uh, speaking about Muhammad things, actually, uh, yeah, keeping track of healthy side. Uh, I think uh, personally, I dissected my entire day into different parts of um, thing. Actually, I wake up at four o'clock in the morning. It might be too hard for few people, but four o'clock I go to gym and then I I train myself uh, pingis, I mean table tennis, and then uh, spend some time hour in the, with the kids in the morning, office. Then in the afternoon I go for a walk. And then because my time is totally in meetings and I'll be totally like, uh, you know, burned out during the day uh, with speaking a lot. So I need some time to really go out of the screen. So I need digital detox every day, actually, to be true. I think that might be a good option to go for us well, having digital detox, uh, you know, uh, at least a couple of hours once, actually, to, to regenerate ourselves. I really like that more. Detox. <laughs> yeah. That's that's really great, great technology. And uh, yeah, uh, one of the things that uh, I feel that because one of my friends actually is doing it, uh, work out at 6 a.m. every day, but uh, I'm a bit lazy, to be honest. <laughs> so <laughs> waking up in, in at 4 or 5, it's uh, something I'm doing it, uh, occasionally, not uh, that much often, but uh, yeah. Uh, in the day that I'm doing it, I feel uh, I feel more energy and uh, more of that. It's uh, maybe the the <laughs> how we call it uh, the bad impact of lots of meetings. Uh, it's giving me actually the time that I don't need to speak anymore. <laughs> this is the thing. I have an energy battery <laughs> level once I reach to uh, maybe ten percent in in the battery of so many meetings and uh, speak here and there, especially if you are not actually using your native language. But uh, this is something that by the time I feel that I don't have any more power to uh, to speak or uh, to even uh, think about something. So yeah, it's, uh, it's a really good tip. Yeah, I think this is uh, super important. Like you all mentioned different ways of coping with uh relaxation after work, like the work-life balance. I think it's super important not to try to search for instant solutions, but to really develop a, a something that works for you. And for some people, it can be workouts. For some people, it can actually be another screen time. Like uh, I don't actually mind coding because I don't get to code that much. So I actually sit in the evening and code my own pet projects. 
uh, it works for me because I speak to people most of the day, right? So I'm sitting yeah. in silence, not talking to anybody, and just thinking about the real tech issues on the code level. And I enjoy that part. But like, I think that it's important not to get caught in. I see people on Facebook doing this for relaxation. I need to do the same. No, not really. Just find whatever suits you. And it, it needs to be tested and evolved over time because it evolves as your job evolves as well. Yeah, yeah. So you know, just to add stuff like waking up at four o'clock, it took me five years to practice that actually. So <laughs> so it's not an easy thing, you know. So uh, I really want to do it, but it took like five years to uh, start it. And uh, now I'm happily doing it. <laughs> Everyone has their own solution to address their problem, right? So uh, yeah. Did you read Robbie Sharma's 5 a.m. club before doing yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the things. And yeah, uh, but, uh, no. when I was younger, I was at 3 a.m. club, actually. I woke up at 3 a.m. But then, you know, coming to Sweden, looking at this climate, hibernation mode, you know, that changed me a lot. But then it to come back, it took so much time. But now I'm happy, you know, uh, yeah. That's very promising. So now I have to start from today and wait for five years ahead until I'm able to have that habit part from my day. <laughs> yeah, no, no, why I say this, like, you know, everything is a practice, right? So implementation, sometimes it will not work and it might work and we need to implement it and see it actually. So we'll do another podcast in five years' time and see how you get in on Mohammed. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Lovely. Um, <laughs> nice. We'll move on to our last question now, um, and it's yours, Mergim. And you ask, how can we create insights with Dora metrics and analytics, better dev experience to ensure higher independence and lower cognitive load to work on new things? So tell us a bit more about your question. Yes. So my question uh, got Basically, it kicked off by by first asking the question, how can tech be utilized to help engineers and engineering teams with stress uh, and work-life balance and mental well-being? So the reason why I mentioned those specific aspects is because being a part of the tech domain now for some time, I tend to see the same thing. Or the majority of the times, there is very team-specific onboardings. There's not so much... Uh, one click, you have your whole, whole environment set up, automation, making sure that all those things are in place to, to re reduce the cognitive load for new joiners and for new projects or new services being built. Uh, Lucas mentioned about Spring Boot. Now we have started to look into that, even introduced it like with one click button from, uh, from uh, the, the, what's the Spotify uh, product called? We have we have renamed it in IKEA, but it's called something special. The backstage, I think, it's called. Or anyway, it's a it's a developer format where you basically you put all your APIs and all the self service capabilities with one click button. You will have a full repository with all the 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 skeleton code needed to run a, a REST API based on Java Spring Boot. Uh, previously, there's a lot of copy pasting, etc. So I wanted to highlight and have a discussion around what your experiences are of reducing that cognitive load for delivering new things and making sure that engineers can feel that they're contributing very fast. So basically time to the first commit is very short because that also is self-sufficient and it gives them a self-confidence level that is a little bit different rather than having a higher stress load of 
coming to that sensation of delivering the first line of code. Uh, I really, this resonates a lot. I don't have it, unfortunately, but it resonates a lot. Uh, I think that that's uh, tremendous when you don't throw a thousand pages of documentation on people on how to set up your work environment, which contains a lot of black magic in it. And, and it's like, it's outdated the day you write it, right? Exactly. You have something that really works. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, I did, I've never had actually a good, good enough experience with these solutions. Uh, but I never put enough efforts into building some, uh, but often one aspect to it when, when you don't have it is, is also that every engineer approaches it differently. How do you set up your spring boot? How do you put configurations in like what, whatever, and everybody approaches it differently. And then you have a bunch of services. Yeah. We have a, another trainer here. Uh, then you end up with a bunch of services with the tiny little differences. And, and then you're surprised after bumping Spring Boot into a different version, half of them stop working and half of them keep working and, and you need to figure it out, right? So like having That's this good. kind of uh, easy entry thingy is very important, I think. Um, and also like uh, one-click one click development environment, I think one click deployment and one click uh, development. So I don't think so that might that really works anywhere. Uh, we are trying to we I mean, at least in my experience, I try we try to do that one click uh, setting up develop environment. But as I said, like the technology keeps on evolving and uh, the cloud comes in, uh, the security comes in, you know. So it's quite impossible to interlink all these things to have a developer environment setup. For example, in my banking sector, like I think you might have known this, Mariam, like because you're working financially. So there are a lot of security things going on behind and it makes us impossible to drive this automation in place. And it's okay. And it's also like, it's, it's also putting pressure on the new developers. I think we should be more realistic. Okay, it's fine. Um, it's okay, it will take time. For example, in, in my previous company, like, uh, when the developer journey is like, take two times, it's it's no pressure, no need to deliver something that is quite out of the box. Take some time to understand the systems, set up your system, and it it took really one month for them to just push the code. Actually, I mean it's fine. We need to clearly set the realistic goals. I mean we know the the drawbacks of the current systems, and we should address it actually as as we proceed. I mean. At least we try to have one-click deployment, and that worked. But that is that's a good thing, right? I mean, uh, starting uh, onboarding session is other step, uh, other other thing. But one-click deployment is totally a different way of approach, right? So, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. So that was a that was a good thing. And uh, and currently in my kind of workplace, also I'm trying to strive forward. Like, uh, even though, for example, if I'm going to hire like a 15 years experience guy, I mean, coming to us is going to be a completely new experience for that person. Actually, I mean. The person should not be afraid uh, or should not be stressed to start right away from the first day. Of course, he can start working uh, with his experience, but it's impossible to set up the environment uh, right away, right? Uh, I think that's more important for us to clear, set, make sure that the people understand the realistic goals. Uh, we should give them, okay, this is how it might take, and we are not expecting this much from you, so it's fine. So. I just need to add one point uh, with one-click development, one-click deployment, and uh, one-click meeting as well. <laughs> it would be really crazy uh, feature if we can have it. Um, I had the experience to work uh, a lot with automation, but uh, I'm really 
keen to have the automation for the people that they don't have automation. So we know how to do it. Uh, in our team, it's more about initiatives. We take it from sprint to another. Uh, we have that uh, initiative for onboarding. We discovered that with one of the new joiners that uh, he discovered that we struggled a bit with having the checklist of uh, everything in, in our team specifically. So uh, having uh, the onboarding one as a documentation and uh, the thing is about um, more automations by the time. This is really important, uh, especially for our work, save a lot of time. And uh, we also tried actually to have uh, some more um, intelligent assistance. And this is one of the things that we need to build in our team. Someone, uh, some tool actually that can monitor, do a lot of stuff, report statuses or alerts or things like that. That's something that can take some actions some default actions based on a specific behavior in the environments that we have. Uh, maybe this is different. Um, the, the difference exactly between if you have um, a lot of in-house development or you're actually supporting an existing product. Uh, I have been working in post um, slides, but um, mainly I have been working a lot with having that style. So you have the flexibility, you have the room, space to create a lot of things dealing a lot with technologies, dealing a lot with um, uh, so many stuff around because you build everything in-house. And most of the time you build things from scratch, especially if, if you're actually creating a new team that didn't exist before. But uh, yeah, um, I really like it. Uh, automation is, uh, of course, uh, the key for uh, for less effort and uh, keeping our minds a bit uh, a bit free. Yeah, uh, so thank you for that. And the, the reason why I asked that question is because I wanted to get an understanding also where different companies are, how they think and how they are approaching this problem. And as you see, we're four different individuals. We have four different contexts attacking the problem differently. Uh, because from our point of view, we are building cloud native solutions. It's all in-house. So the for us, it's starting to work actually with basically creating the skeleton for a rest, a new product. Like you said, Mohammed, if you build a brand new product with a set of APIs, then it would work with a one-click skeleton development for a REST API, basically. Uh, that will that will facilitate and orchestrate a, a database setup and a load balancer in place, etc. on AWS, GCP, you name it. Uh, and of course, then the automation on the infrastructure itself to make sure that we can actually have a very fast feedback loop of delivering things to production or to the different environments. Uh, what we have done also is we have, of course, we have created a Docker image, basically facilitating the full infrastructure and application that we have for local development. It's resource heavy, which is the negative part of it, but it helps a lot of newcomers to actually play around with uh, Postman or any other UI with APIs that we're building and understanding the backgrounds of the happenings in this case. Um, and then it comes to the next question or a piece of that question, if we have time for it, it's about the Dora metrics or the DevOps capability metrics in terms of uh, mean time to recovery, the, the deployment frequency and so on. 
that those measurements are sometimes actually putting stress on individuals, even though they're not utilized to measure teams against each other or measure individuals in a team. It's more to improve the capability or improve the setup the team has itself. How have you guys, if you have experience with it, tackled that problem in a way? I'm just thinking, uh, I was closely working to something like DevOps practices and uh, this trying to measure um, metrics for uh, understanding how the team can improve that. Uh, I felt like the, the cross-culture team really helped us, uh, cross-function team really helped us to move forward in this practice, actually. So uh, we didn't have a single DevOps to take over the entire you know, things, but instead we started to practice the DevOps culture within the team uh, yep. uh, to, to promote the DevOps mindset. So every, uh, of course, there will be one DevOps in a team, but it depends upon the resource and allocation. But in my current company, we are trying to strive so that the team understand the DevOps culture. And how we try to do it is like cross-functional collaboration. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, and, and make sure that they have some time to do some DevOps practices as the part of the development as well. I like that. We are doing exactly that, so I can resonate 100% on that aspect. Trying to remove the dependency to a DevOps engineer, so you have a, cross, a shared knowledge uh, across the team, of course, but you still need maybe on a chapter level or a domain level some expertise to maintain and facilitate knowledge yeah, around so. the infrastructure, of course. Perfect. I mean. We are, I mean, it's the same concept, but we're also trying to think in a different way. Like when we are planning to do a DevOps, but what it is like, we want specialization DevOps instead of, uh, so we, we start currently, we start with the data DevOps actually. So we want some engineer because our, our company currently is dealing with a lot of data. So we want to really understand and work with data. So we like, okay, now we want some expertise in data and that person can also should work with DevOps. So mm -hmm. trying to leverage uh, the expertise of a person and try to utilize the technology of the DevOps uh, culture yep. uh, so that they, it could produce some something different actually. And it's, it's working quite good for us. Now, just briefly on our end, we, we like to have engineers involved in like end-to-end -end in the infrastructure, where yep. the infrastructural teams provide more support and toolkits rather than, rather than like building it for you. And I think this really works because whenever it's just delivered for you, then it's like, you can tailor made it for your use cases and whatnot. This way, you you really have all the benefits of flexibility. Well, you don't need to reinvent the wheel every time you build a new service. So, I really think it works very well. Lovely, Megan. Any other final thoughts on your question? No, uh, not what I can see. So, I appreciate this discussion because if I can take it away, of course. One solution doesn't fit every setup, obviously. So it's it's of context is uh, and domain is equally important to to look into when you look over what what type of solution works the best for decreasing the cognitive load for new engineers joining teams. Um, what Luca said is something I really love, and that is that documentation is old as soon as you click update, and then. Uh, and that is a problem that every company is right now struggling with. Uh, I get a thumbs up on that one as well, so I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, and that one is, I guess, we just need to continue exploring how to solve that. And uh, I still believe in that 
some type of infrastructure teams can help with the basic basic setup of new services, uh, of course, but the majority of the responsibility still lies on the the engineering teams, the product teams who are building their capabilities. I have only one comment, uh, if the time is uh, still okay. Um, the DevOps work and infrastructure, uh, it's kind of, um, I have tried that in, in, in many different places, especially in my work right now, it's a shared responsibility. We build like um, a solution and uh, everyone, part from his job, part from his task is delivering it from end to end. So he integrates with the infrastructure, how they can deploy, how um, he can actually create um, the appropriate pipelines for that. So. We are not just leaving everything for infrastructure team or, um, or DevOps team or something because it's something that we do it within the work. So it's part from the task. It's the delivery of that task. It's not just uh, to be working on your machine or you just uh, have it deployed. But no, it's uh, part from the job. Even if you are not a backend developer, if you, if you are working as a frontend developer, part from it to ensure that there is um, a setup for the pipeline to um, establish or having the infrastructure in place and also have the easy uh, deployments and having the CICD uh, tools connected together. This is uh, this is a bit hard, to be honest, but uh, this is actually open uh, a new areas for anyone need to be uh, working more with infrastructure, working more with uh, some other stuff. Um, I'm really able to do that, especially in my current position because we are cross-functional team. So this is something a bit easy to be having more full stackers and the more people that we can actually play different roles in different areas. So yeah, yeah, yeah we did that also. Instead of going two steps forward, we took one step back and actually made sure that everyone in the team knows Terraform by heart. And that has opened the gates for productivity on a different level because one click wonder almost basically. So we don't need to care about how we can safely decommission a full setup without going into CLIs and removing things, which is also again a cognitive load aspect to increase the productivity and increase the 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 work-life balance. So the engineers are not sitting dreadful hours to try to clean up after a misconfigured deployment and so on in this case. Amazing. Perfect. Well, really great conversation around tech and mental health um, and appreciate all your insights. So I'd just like to thank all of our guests, um, Lucas, Mohammed, Mergim and Prabhu for joining us on this episode. And thank you to the listeners as well. If you would like to get involved in one of our upcoming podcasts or interested in speaking with us about our freelance services here at Evolution, message me on LinkedIn at Abby Stokes.